All right. Hello and welcome to Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast um, where we talk about spooky things in, that happen in Hollywood. And it is finally spooky month. It is October. As of this recording, it is Yay. October 3rd, Monday, October 3rd. However, when you hear this, we will be deep, knees deep in, <laughs> into the spooky season. I almost said elbow deep, but that's like a bad image there. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the thick of the spooky season, I hope you're all going to haunted attractions. I'm hoping you're doing fun, spooky stuff. Um, I have not done anything Halloween so far. Um, yeah. Same here. I have not watched any scary movies um or anything so oh. I, I am a failure to no. And this is my month my birthday is at the end of the month <gasps> oh and my gosh yes it is I oh yeah haven't done anything um next okay oh, <laughs> I should probably say we have Teresa with us today yeah. hey hi everybody um and I'm Tia as always <laughs> um <laughs> So next week, though, I am going to stay at the Apache Hotel, which is a hotel that is located inside of Binion's here in Los Oh, Angeles. yeah. And suppose Dude, I know that one. It's supposed oh to be haunted. I probably should yes. do some research on it before. That's all <laughs> yeah. I know is that it's haunted. And uh, um, we're going to just hang out. I don't think I'm going to record anything. Um on it i might do a couple little short videos that maybe i'll put up on the patreon but um mostly i just want to hang out and do vegas stuff um because i have not yeah. relaxed or had a vacation or done anything fun in a long time because all, yeah. I, do, all I do is work and research and record and <laughs> sleep sporadically oh my god <laughs> is my sleep schedule horrible um <laughs> have weird dreams and say I'm going to do housework and then I don't do housework. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You on that one. Is my life right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we'll do that. I don't know. We, I don't know what else we'll do spooky wise this season. Mm -hmm. um, my sister doesn't know this, but she's coming to visit this weekend. Well, she knows she's coming to visit this weekend. Um, mm -hmm. She doesn't know that part, but she doesn't know that I got tickets to bat out of hell. Oh wow! Which is cool. At Paris. Oh wow! How fun! And so I've never seen I've never seen the theater in Paris. Um, I've never seen this musical. I like. Yeah. I saw Meatloaf in concert before he passed away. That was pretty cool. Oh, nice! That's so, that's cool. I'll recognize the music, but I'm not. I don't know anything about the musical, and I don't know if she's gonna like mm. it. I haven't told yeah. her going yet. I told her it's a surprise. So, but I mean, the cool is still a big show in Vegas. I mean, yeah. what could be better than that? Yeah, you know? be that would be fun. Pretty cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um. So today we're talking about some spooky stuff. We are talking about mm -hmm. ghosts. Um. Mm -hmm. Which surprisingly we don't talk about very much here on the podcast. <laughs> Um, even though the word yeah. is in the name of the podcast, um, I'm a bad podcast 
director um <laughs> and <laughs> no talking yeah, about? I'm, I'm gonna fire the the artistic director who uh, yeah. um, <laughs> um we'll talk more about goat uh-huh. coming up uh next week i'll be recording an episode with roxana oh no tomorrow but oh, tomorrow. the following yeah. week probably with uh-huh. roxana and we didn't know until today what we were going to be talking about but it is ghost related it is going to be on my weird little podcast so that's it um also i forgot that we were even recording today until you texted me and so oh, shit. uh i spent the last two and a half hours doing as much research as possible for this and I'll I mean I'll talk okay. I'll tell you more about that when we when it's my turn but um yeah of course anyways I think we're gonna start with you because I'm pretty sure you yes. happens long before mine happens oh yeah definitely most definitely yeah um well let's just get into it um so I am going to be talking about the Bell Witch. Ooh. And hopefully, yes. <laughs> ooh is right. Definitely say ooh for the Bell Witch because um she is the most popular legend to come from the southern part of the United States uh, with regards to folklore. Um, I mean, the Bell Witch, she's big. She's up there with, in my opinion, um, with uh, Bloody Mary, with Resurrection Mary, um, to name a couple anyway. But she's she's big stuff. So um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of uh, different variations of her. Um, and <laughs> it kind of made my head explode a little bit reading about all the different um, variations on the story and kind of who people, um, first of all, what people thought happened within the legend and then um, more of who people thought that she might have actually been if she was actually a quote unquote person at all. So Mm. that's kind of what I'll be talking about a little bit too. Um, so she's most commonly referred to as the Bell Witch, or um, it's people refer to it as the Bell Witch Haunting. Um, like I said, there's many different versions of the story. Um, and then, of course, in, in, um, in accordance with that, there's a lot of books, movies, and even theatrical plays that have been written about wow. the legend of the Bell Witch. Yeah, I would like to um, <laughs> find out more about the play. It sounds really oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, <laughs> I forget what it was. I should have written it down. I mean, of course, I could look it up, but um, I'm not going to right at the moment because <laughs> there's a lot of tabs open. But um, I remember that the theater was um, <laughs> Murfreesboro, Tennessee, I believe, which Tennessee is where this story takes place it's the yeah. origin and birthplace of the bell witch but anyway a theater in murfreesboro tennessee did a production um with the bell witch um so anyway look yeah look that up if you're interested um so bell witch um, festival. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. talk about that. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm ruining your podcast. Uh, <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um, I think no, you're good. play is just called Bell Witch. The Bell Witch story. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. So I don't know if it's any etc. But um, it's you know kind of exciting being theater lovers here as we are as well as spooky people we you know at least I like to find out stuff like that so kind of offbeat kind of cool yeah we occasionally do the plays (laughs) yeah sometimes go see the plays we do Mm -hmm. that occasionally occasionally (laughs) every once in a while um so was the bell witch real is going to be a huge question did she once exist as a person historically well i'll tell you the conclusion i came to with this legend you pretty much draw your own conclusions because there's so many different layers to this so that's just my take on it but let me get into the legend itself a little bit so i told you that um This takes place in Tennessee. Um, It happened in present day Adams, uh, Tennessee, which then was called Red River um, due to its location next to a Red River. Um, But now it is Adams, Tennessee, and it's about 40 miles from Nashville. Um, So not too bad if you're spending time in Nashville and you're want to go visit um because i'll get to that later they actually have a present day location um which is a cave and then they actually have a a a log cabin replica of the family home it was their farm um and you can visit it and you were talking about the the festival um that is happening this month at the end of the month Um, so i'll talk about that a little bit, but let's get back to the legend. Um, So from 1817 to 1821, the Bell family, and they were farmers, were tormented in their home by an evil entity. And the entity itself was mostly invisible, it was said. It could speak it could affect the physical environment and it could shape shift. It was also in some versions said to be clairvoyant and capable of crossing long distances with superhuman speed mm. and also possibly being in more than one place at a time. So this entity had a lot of superpowers. <laughs> um, it was also known sometimes as Kate interestingly enough, which I'll get into that later. Um, But mostly, you know, I think according to most of what I read, when they referred to the entity, it was just like a spirit or a goblin or a demon. They called it something like that, or sometimes Kate occasionally. Um, Mm. But in, yeah, Mm. in (laughs) 18... What? I'm just imagining Kate as somebody's like scorned ex. So they're like, we'll just, uh, we'll just name the the demon Kate. 
<laughs> you know, it's like some inside joke. Oh, yeah. You know. No, exactly. And you're not, you may not be far off with that. I mean, well, this, uh, the, the demon Brandy. I mean, what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that is a definite possibility. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but we'll see. I'll give, I'll give us a little bit of what other people think it might be um, later, but back to the actual haunting. Um, it really started in 1817, and it was said to have began when John Bell Sr., the father of the household, he witnessed the apparition of a strange creature. And it was said that the creature looked like the combination, if you can imagine this, of a dog and a rabbit combined. Mm. And he was said to have seen that at a distance. Um, I believe he was in his cornfield or something like that. And he saw it. And then, of course, he was frightened. Um, but he shot at the creature. But as soon as he shot at the creature, it disappeared. So adding more to the mystery of um, what the hell was that thing and why did that just happen? So, um, and then a lot of other strange things, excuse me, strange things started to happen um, to the entire household, to all of the family members after that. And these were just a few of the things that happened. Drew Bell, who was one of the sons, he saw a humongous and strange looking bird perched on the fence. Betsy Bell, who was the daughter, saw a girl in a green dress swinging from the limb of an oak tree. Dean or Aberdeen Bell, and he unfortunately was the Bell family's slave. Um, he said that he was always followed by a big black dog on the nights that he visited his wife. His wife was also a slave, but she was stationed at a different home. Um, but he said that the dog would follow him faithfully. Um, and it was just strange because I don't think anything ever happened according to the legend, but just that the dog would follow him around. Um, the house began to manifest all kinds of torments such as uh, there was knocking heard along the doors and walls. And then it just started to kind of escalate from there. Sounds of gnawing on the beds, invisible dogs fighting, chains along the floor, sheets pulled from the beds while the kids slept. Now that would get me. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, here, <laughs> it really would. Like, honestly, that's something I think about, oddly enough. Sometimes I'm just like, oh my God, what if my leg hangs over the side of the bed and like something grabs it and pulls me underneath the bed? Yeah. I have those so, thoughts sometimes. <laughs> so in college, I freaked myself out because I really stayed on, I went to the American Musical and Dramatics Academy in Hollywood. And its location mm -hmm. was in an old building that had been around since like probably the 30s. We had little bungalows around there, probably from the 30s. I remember freaking myself out one night. I thought something was pulling out my sheets and everything. I'm pretty sure it was just my foot caught in the blanket and I was moving it myself. 
it is freaky when that happens so yeah or I look at like a pile of laundry in the corner that I haven't put away yet and then I start imagining that it's a creature or something like that so some of these things they don't really go away um after you're younger sometimes so it's just 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 funny I don't know like I get I actually um have a ghost I think it's a ghost light for sure like it hasn't like now that I'm talking about it I'm gonna look at it and it's not gonna be active but um anyway I was checking it out and yeah like there's no way that that light functions so why is it like putting off clothes every now and then I don't get it that's like, all. It, that's like all a, I gotta say. Like a lamp that you own? It's not a lamp. It's a fixture in the ceiling of the RV. Mm. Um, it's like it's like a light. Um, like it shouldn't be working anymore, right? It doesn't work anymore. It's not supposed to. Um, mm. but it will it will flicker for a while, like every now and then. So anyway, I was freaking myself out the other day with it. <laughs> I was like like kind of like dancing around it like trying not to like look at it I don't know it's been um it's been a little weird being alone by myself uh that's all I can say (laughs) start imagining things who knows um Mm. but anyway back to the haunting at um the Bell family house um so after the sheets were pulled from the bed, like I said, things kept escalating until the which the entity whatever started pulling the hair and scratching the kids. And Betsy got the worst of it. Uh, she really did not like Betsy for whatever reason. She slapped, pinched, and stuck her with pins on a regular basis. And John Bell, um, senior, the father, he experienced actual paralysis in his mouth um, for no explainable reason. In his mouth? mouth, Yeah. Weird. So I'm I'm not exactly sure what that meant because, of course, it's a legend. Mm -hmm. There's no factual evidence really to support anything, but... Yeah, apparently, according to the legend, that's what he experienced. (laughs) Um, And uh, the entity was said to have escalated its presence from faint whispers um, to actual clear disembodied speech. So at first, the family was just, you know, hearing whispers of things and not really understanding. It was faint. The voice was weak. But then, over time, apparently, it grew to be a strong voice and one that could speak in sentences and be understood. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that doesn't creep you out, I don't, I don't know what will. Um, and they were actually listening to this spirit and kind of almost letting it guide them um, at a lot of times, you know? I feel like they were using it like... Um, almost like a some kind of Ouija board or something like that, you know, um, which I'll get into that in a moment. But um, the entity 
is said to be able to appear, like I said, in, in many different ways. It's supposed to be a shapeshifter. So um, it can appear as a rabbit, uh, a bear, a black dog, and it can imitate various animal sounds. Mm. And um, the voice, the entity, claimed that it was one of seven spirits and that three of those spirits had these names. Three Waters, um, Tyna Purdy. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's T-Y-N-A-P-R-T-I, and Black Dog. Mm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That was one of the versions where they they said that it it said it was one of seven spirits. Um, where was I? Let's see. So another one of the things that the entity could do was that it was said to be very intelligent and it liked to kind of um, show off its intelligence or its knowledge. So, and apparently for whatever reason, this entity, even though most of the time it sounds like a straight demon to me, um, the entity liked to go to church every now and then. Um, so uh, who knows what that reason was, but hmm. the entity was able to repeat two sermons verbatim from two churches given 13 miles apart at the same time. And that's what was claimed that um, the entity did that to kind of um, show the family that um, they were very intelligent and very capable of doing these kind of incredible things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of brings me to the idea that um, the entity had jinn like powers. And do you know what the the jinn is? Like it's a, a genie. A genie, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, genie essentially. Yeah. Like not like the cartoon genie we think of. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah, not like her or um, you know, most of the representations, but an actual kind of spirit that you summon to kind of do your bidding, more or less. And looking up gin because I only knew a little bit about gin. Um, but I found out some really interesting stuff. If any of you out there are interested in gin, um, very interesting. Like apparently they can have relationships with human beings and like even procreate apparently. That um, explains I dream of genie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But in such a lighthearted way. But yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I just thought about that too. Yeah. Good connection to you. You see? <laughs> um, so yeah, but I thought that was like really interesting. And I was like, wait, so the genie is having sex with a human being? And like this is like Twilight stuff. Like <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. All right. Hundreds so, of year old year old entity having sex yeah yeah a human yeah (laughs) it was just like okay cool um interesting um yeah the bell witch once you you know really start looking into it yeah she was kind of this entity that had these gin-like powers because um 
you know, she was she was definitely making life a living hell for most of the family members in the Bell family. But she also didn't dislike every family member. She actually showed kindness or even fondness towards Lucy Bell, who was the mother. Mm. Um, it said that she would give her fresh fruit and sing hymns to her. Yes, hymns. Again, it's strange that this entity is singing hymns, I think. Um, I'm just trying to put together all the pieces of her being evil, I guess, but then also having this thing with Christianity. It's just very interesting. Yeah. So um, anyway, but that's what it was said she did. And she would show John Bell Jr., the son, another one of the sons, some respect, it said. Mm. But she apparently hated John Bell Sr. She called him Old Jack. And that was her, like, supposed to be mean nickname for him. Mm. And she hated the daughter, too, Betsy Bell. She, the witch entity, sorry, sometimes I'll call her the witch, sometimes the entity. But she always told him that she would kill him. And eventually she did. She poisoned him. And apparently as the family was in mourning for him, um, they were at a funeral. They were trying to grieve and honor him. She was singing drinking songs, like basically just like having a laugh that he was dead, you know. So she was not nice at all um, when she didn't want to be. Um, she didn't want Betsy to marry this guy named Joshua Gardner. Um, the reason why, who knows? But her persistence with it got so bad that Betsy wound up actually calling off the engagement in 1821. And after this, the entity said it would leave and then it would return again in seven years. So that would be 1828. And according to the legend, the witch did return in 1828, and she was up to her old similar antics. But this time, the family, um, who was mother and um, some of the sons, did not encourage her, and she appeared to leave. So appeared to leave is pretty good because um, people say that she never did and many people say that, um, you know, she's still there. She's always been there. Um, so another big question mark. Um, okay. Who was she? Um, she was possibly, the most common theory is that she was possibly the spirit of a woman named Kate Bat. And she had been an unfriendly neighbor of John Bell, who believed that she was cheated by him in a land purchase. But nobody really knows for sure. And that's what it comes down to in the end. There's um, endless theories about who she might have possibly been, but then there's also a heavy amount of skepticism as to whether any of this actually happened, um, that type of thing. And the, 
they did have a book out at the time in 1894, and that was written by Martin Van Buren Ingram. And it was called, it is called, An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch. So I have not, but I read little snippets of it, and it's pretty thorough in going through like all the research that they thought at the time um, was something that was, you know, going to prove um, that these events were happening and prove that she was the one that was orchestrating everything. Um, so if you're interested in further re researching the Bell Witch, that would be a good place to start because it's the oldest manual written on it um, that's still around. Um, Actually, I don't know if you could, I didn't look up to see if you could get a copy, but um, you might be able to read some of it somewhere, I'm sure. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, um, it's kind of now, since it's, you know, steeped in legend, it's, there's a lot of stuff, like I said before, that's been written on it, but it would be up to you to I don't know, I guess, decide <laughs> maybe which version resonates with you most, uh, yeah. something like yeah. that. Um, and what I told you um, and all the listeners tonight was just kind of the classic tale of, of what had happened. Um, like I said, there's a lot of other elements because this story, of course, you know, I think it's probably globally known, but it's definitely known in the United States. And the different versions are throughout like Louisiana, um, Mississippi, um, you know, North Carolina and Tennessee is, you know, the birthplace of the legend. So I thought that was really interesting, too, because yeah. I hadn't really done a lot of research about Southern folklore, I guess. Um, I knew about the Bell Witch, but I didn't know a whole lot about the story or anything behind it. So I thought that was really cool. Um, a couple more things. Um, did President Andrew Jackson back in the 18, late 1800s really visit the Bell Farm to investigate all the hauntings and disturbances going on there? Well, it's part of the legend, but it's also disputed as there seems to be no historical evidence to mm. back it up. Um, so you will see, and they even have, it's crazy. They have actual like historic plaques in um, Tennessee stating that, you know, Andrew Jackson visited the house and this is what happened. Like supposedly the legend goes something like he um, had heard about the hauntings and disturbances from one of the soldiers who was working for him, um, you know, in the various wars and crazy stuff that was going on. Um, and he wanted to check it out for himself. So the story goes that they got in the carriage and they were approaching the Bell uh, family farm. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the horse and the carriage everything stopped in its tracks and could not proceed any further. And at that point, Andrew Jackson was said to have um, said something like, it's a witch. Like, that's the only reason for this. I mean, that's not 
he said something different. <laughs> it sounds better in his speech, but I can't remember exactly what he said right now. But um, he said it was a witch. And then they did actually go in um, at that point, because apparently after he said that, he was happy that her presence was acknowledged and she said okay yeah you can go forth now um so he went in uh, according to the legend and investigated and um <laughs> he actually wanted to summon you know more demons try to make more mischief happen well he just wanted to summon the witch really um and so uh, the witch, you know, granted his witch and then wish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, you know, mayhem ensued. And then apparently he was said to have left the home saying, wow, that was a lot of fun. Like, that was more fun than fighting the British. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> that yeah. last part. Like, I you ha- like. Yeah, you should look it up if you're interested. But I mean, it's on like Wikipedia. But um, the way that he said it, he's like, by, by God, that was the best uh, diversion I've had. It was better than fighting the British, you know, something like that. So, um, so they left. And but did that ever really happen? No, probably not. It's, (laughs) it's kind of, it's kind of unlikely that that actually did happen. Because first of all, He's the president. I mean, he kind of probably has other things to do. And he was also in the middle of an election that year. So I don't think he probably was checking out the Bell family farm. But hey, you know, draw your own conclusions. The Bell Witch legend continues on in the 20th century. It's said that the cave on the farm property is majorly haunted. And the cave, and that's that's the thing about the cave, is it never was a thing when the actual legend was actually around. So it's actually like a separate legend on top of a legend. Mm. So it's, it's kind of cool in that way. It took me a minute to figure that out because I was reading at first and it said the cave was not actually tied to the original story. Mm. Um, so yeah. it's, it is interesting. Um, but yes, you can tour the ca- uh, the cave. So a plug to the um, historic Bell Witch Cave. And that is what their website is called. And they offer guided tours um, through the cave and through the replica that they have built, they restored of the Bell uh, family cabin. And they even have separate lantern tours, which I thought sounded really cool. I was like, oh, wow, taking a tour by lantern, you know, somewhere in rural Tennessee, I guess. I don't know. Sounds cool. Um, They have some of the original artifacts from the original bell cabin, including a chimney stone and an iron kettle. And they were actually placed, the cave was placed on the National Register of Historic Places. So... It's it's been um, approved by the government, so you should definitely go see it for that reason. <laughs> um, so I found out another interesting thing is that um, in Tennessee folklore, um, the terms witch, ghost, and haint. Yes, haint. I had never heard of haint before. H a i n t. They are used interchangeably, 
to kind of describe anything that is supernatural or evil of some kind. Um, so I just thought that was interesting um, because one of the sites I took information from is called Homespun Hanks. And if you want to learn more about the Bell Witch, I definitely recommend going to Homespun Hanks because her article was really um, written well and written funny too. Um, the, <laughs> the title of the article is Legend of the Bell Witch and How One Mean-Ass Ghost Lady Still Haunts Pop Culture. Nice. <laughs> so you should look it up if you actually want to learn about the Bell Witch, but also have a laugh at the same time. It's pretty good. Um, and then, like we were uh, like before, there is the Bell Witch Fall Festival. And it is yearly around Halloween. And it includes a tour of the cave, the cabin, and a midnight hayride around the property. Very cool. So, that, yeah, right? That sounds really fun. Yeah. So, it's too bad that I, you know, have no plans to go to Adams, Tennessee right now because that would be really fun. I would definitely do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe some year, maybe next year. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the, um, the pop culture aspect of the Bell Witch, um, which some of you have been thinking of this whole time, um, I know I did at first, um, but she's had, you know, a very lasting effect on, um, on our pop culture. Um, so, excuse me, the Blair Witch Project is a direct um, example of how the Bell Witch is kind of, um, I don't know, integrated into the culture, especially the spooky culture. Um, and if you don't know or haven't seen the Blair Witch Project, look it up. It's um, a different witch. It's not the same witch as the Bell Witch, but they are definitely very similar. Um, and then also the movie An American Haunting. Mm. I didn't see it, but I know that Sissy Spacek was in it. Carrie, uh, Stephen King's Carrie, of course. So yeah, I don't know. It, that's probably scary. I don't know. I, I think it would be, um, but any anybody out there, let us know if it's scary or not. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I think in conclusion that the Bell Witch would be very happy that she's still entertaining and fascinating her fans over 200 years later. So that is a little bit about the Bell Witch. Um, legend of the great witch from Tennessee there there you go <laughs> yeah awesome yeah yeah right <laughs> I didn't know anything about her really so yeah very I, cool to... I knew it was like a popular ghost story but I didn't know any of that I didn't even know if it was, it was in Tennessee I figured it was some place east of here yeah I grew up in california and i was like i haven't heard any of that not right. that I everything about those stories out here but yeah right but still like yeah you hadn't heard of it and like kind of same here i mean it wasn't a ghost that i really like i said thought about before because 
I don't know. I don't think about tons of ghosts of the South. Not for any reason, I guess. I just don't. <laughs> so um, maybe I should start thinking about them now. Please well, don't come after me, Bell Witch. I've got enough problems going on right now, okay? <laughs> well, next, just gave year, props. next year, I want to plan, a, plan a, a trip for us to go to New Orleans in September. Next. Oh, yeah. A year from now, I think we should mm-hmm. I think definitely. I think I'll be uh, a little more comfortable with going into crowds of people. Um, right. When I to visit in September, uh, uh-huh. the week after Southern Decadence, which is their pride. Okay. And it, oh, right. It was. I wouldn't say it was dead, but it was like not that busy. Yeah. It was dead like the day after. So we landed at eight in the morning and there was like glitter mm-hmm. all over like the street and they were like people <laughs> wandering around at like eight in the morning like coming out and stuff and I was like that was my first impression of New Orleans and I was like oh my god like people party like crazy here there's like feathers and like beads and like glitter yeah. everywhere and there are people who are still drunk in the streets right now and then the next day there was <laughs> then the next day there was like none of that it was like yeah. mellow. I mean, there was still like some stuff like in the streets, like people yeah. the bars and stuff. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I would, right? I'll look that up again because our rooms. Yeah. Were- and yeah, we should definitely go do some stuff in the South. Um, definitely. They have good. That food. would be so cool. Um, yes. And good ghosts and yeah definitely no I'm about it for Mm -hmm. sure I I only have you know good memories of Bourbon Street I mean I have crazy memories which I will not get into but use your imagination but yes the food is good (laughs) I like the gumbo very much like we went to this place called the gumbo shop it sounds so simple but it was delicious and like apparently as you know Tia it's most of the establishments have been there for like years so you know that was cool too it's you really feel you get that like really historical feel when you're down there you know so yeah we should go (laughs) all right hey all right so just so you all know i am drinking liquid hoppiness (laughs) sierra nevada I got this at Trader Joe's this morning in downtown Summerlin, as opposed to, I don't know, North Summerlin or the other Trader Joe's I went to last time where the guy not only made me take my mask off my face, but also asked me to repeat back my birthday to him because oh, he no. in carding me because he did not believe that I was 21 years old. I will be, <laughs> I will be turning 35. 35 on the 30th of this year <laughs> I was Get it I was not amused like checking my ID is one thing asking me to take my mask down is another thing then asking me to repeat my birthday is like a whole nother <laughs> thing on top of that. like, like yeah. I mean granted granted I was buying copious amounts of alcohol because Trader Joe's has good deals and a good variety you know yeah but like I was buying a cart full of alcohol. That's basically what it was. But 
And I was wearing jeans with like hearts on my jeans and stuff, <laughs> um, like a brightly colored sweater. But I'm like, that doesn't really mean anything. So I don't know. It was weird. It was very awkward. And, he was uh, a, he was the manager too. Too. Because mm-hmm. the guy checking me out at the at at the, I probably told this story out in the podcast because I'm so mad about it, and I'm pretty sure I told oh. you, Roxana. So the, my the checkout clerk was clearly underage you know, and they can't ring up alcohol. Okay, cool. So the manager had to come over and ring up alcohol, but I think he was like trying to prove a point to this Mm. youngling uh, about carting people and made me take my mask off, which pre COVID has never happened. Like, I mean, since COVID COVID, that has never, no one's ever asked me to take my mask off. Right. Right. No one's ever asked me to say my birthday back to, yeah you know ever yeah. um other than when I'm like giving blood but that's like procedure yeah right yeah. <laughs> it's like medical yeah it was yeah. like one you're the manager check me out two you have my id in your hand yeah it was just so it was so invasive <laughs> so much like I'm like you're not yeah today. you were just like selling me some like IPAs you know and some yeah like and I'm 34 years old (laughs) (laughs) I I know to be fair I might have been 33 at the time so (laughs) that really threw it off right yeah (laughs) this chick at Joe's today um did not ask me to take my mask down or repeat my birthday back or anything granted I was only Uh buying white claws in a case in two cases of beers um yeah but I think she was flirting with me and Pat was like no she's just being nice and I was like well she didn't have to lean across the counter <laughs> um, at me you know and he's like oh yeah you're right that that was a bit much and I was like yeah it's okay well if you felt a vibe there was a vibe women flirt with me a lot women flirt with me a whole lot I give off this uh b bd energy big d energy a lot um I know that's what it is I'm just I'm very awesome you know and you are um, very awesome women yeah. flirt with yeah. me all the time not as much as men you know men do flirt with me occasionally but is like I would say 90% women but I think it's also difficult as a woman to flirt with another woman because sometimes yeah. women don't respond as oh they're flirting with me they're like oh this is just fun you know we're just friends <laughs> you know and that must be yeah. that must be difficult you know to get past the friend vibe into yeah. no I'm flirting with you um <laughs> it, it, she totally leaned across the counter to talk to me at Trader <laughs> Um, cause she was like trying to get me to like sign up for this raffle. And she was like, you have better luck than I do. So why don't you go put it in the thing over there? And I was like thinking she probably didn't want to walk across the room to put it in the case, uh, put the thing mm-hmm. in like the raffle ticket in the box. Cause it was across the room. Um, but, <laughs> but she went, she already went and got a cart for us you know, but I don't know. It was like, it was a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm still thinking about it. Cause like Pat didn't believe that she was flirting with me and I'm like, 
So to be fair, I feel like a lot of guys also don't know what flirting is, you know, when girls yeah. flirt with them. So true. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's true. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with my topic today. So okay. um, so wait, what are you drinking? I didn't even ask. Me? Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot to tell you. Well, first of all, before I plug the wine, I'll you're not you can't see this, but well, Tia, you can see it. I've got my glass that you gave me. I love it. It says glass of wine, true crime. And it has a little, I think it's like a bloody hand maybe, and then a glass of wine. It's really awesome. And I'm drinking, what is it? Rare Earth Pinot Noir from Oregon, which um, it's on the cheaper end. It's like, I don't know, $10 a bottle or so, but it's actually one of the better on the lower end Pinot Noirs. I do recommend because um, a lot of the best Pinot Noirs do come from Oregon, I believe. Nice. They've, they make they make good ones there. So yeah, just an FYI if you're interested. But yeah, I'm drinking red wine and I may have already had a white Russian as well. Mm. So <laughs> I have never had a white Russian ever. Oh, no. I have to ask for it next time I'm at a bar. Not the I not the bar I'm gonna go on Tuesday. Um yeah. so every Tuesday I go karaokeing at the Huntridge Tavern. I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast because we're I'm gonna get a stalker at some point. Uh-oh. <laughs> not, not always there. And if I have a stalker, I will stop going. Um, but I go and it's a dive bar here in Las Vegas. And I don't I don't think I would order a white Russian there because I doubt they have milk just hanging out, right? That's yeah. What I'm and if they did, like, it's probably not great, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Best to order, stay away from uh, dairy-related drinks. It's the drink of the dude, the Big Lebowski, for I, any of you Lebowski fans out there. I am a Big Lebowski fan. I 100% thought it was milk and vodka, and that was it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I mean, okay. it is very, you can see here, because I have a little remnants of it, yeah. it is very milky in color, and this is the, this is the pre-mixed cocktail that, um, that Cutwater makes, yes, I love Cutwater, yet, yet again, because I love these cocktails in a the can, they're yeah, so good, the White Russian, mm. so, I mean, this one is 14%. That's no joke. I mean, yeah. it's the same amount as wine, basically. So um, it's a good cocktail. So if you're in the mood for something like that, but I mean, you do have to um, get used to the dairy part of it, maybe, but it's it's good. So anyway, <laughs> we don't I don't think we have cut water out here. We have buzz balls. Do you know what buzz balls are? Oh, yeah, I love buzz balls. I mean, I haven't had one in a while, but those things are they could be lethal yeah <laughs> they're so sweet though they're but really like sweet. I remember having know. those a lot because they're just handy mm -hmm. you know to like stash one or two in your bag yeah um yeah but I probably yeah. wouldn't drink that and I hate I really don't like sweet stuff so uh yeah yeah 
So I, I know they usually are on the on the pretty sweet side, but yeah, yeah. I probably would not. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, I have. That's funny because I haven't had a buzz ball in a while, but they sell them at the gas station, and I used to get them all the time because they were cheaper, <laughs> you know. And if you if you put them in the freezer, they taste better to oh, me. Like it doesn't. Yeah, like it doesn't turn it to ice, you know, unless your freezer is at a very high setting or something like that. But since it's alcohol, when you put it in the freezer, mm -hmm. it tastes much better like ice cold coming out of the freezer than it does like in other circumstances, in my opinion. So it's more like um, palatable. Not that it's not when you drink it just regularly, but with the sugar content, I think it's better if you put it in the freezer. So just my little tip out there to any <laughs> buzz ball drinkers mm. so yeah if you don't know what a buzz yeah. ball it is a plastic ball of alcohol um <laughs> that's what it is and they come in all, <laughs> all types um yes we we have them at smith's and they're in this case right by so okay so i love mini bars and my thing yeah. And I've stopped doing this, but I used to always collect those like tiny little bottles. But I stopped doing oh, yeah. it because it's a lot of plastic waste. Yeah. But you probably didn't know this, but at my old apartment, mm -hmm. I had like a secret mini bar that was in this like drawer on my balcony. And I would be there during oh, parties. And I only told like certain people about it like occasionally when I was drunk. I was like, I have a secret mini bar find it and I remember one person being like I'm not gonna just open drawers in your apartment like that's valid um but I did that occasionally that's a good friend yeah right I don't remember who said that I don't know that was so drunk. um it was like one of my Halloween parties oh uh, yeah um, but I had those like little mini bottles and I used to get those all the time but it's a lot of plastic waste but they yeah. have buzz balls and like the mini bar stuff right next to the checkout counter at Smith's and it's always, mm. it's always tempting me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of plastic waste for like one shot when you should just buy the bottle and you know, it's true. Yeah, it's true, but they are good. They're good on the plane too. If you're I don't know, I fly spirit a lot and they have the buzz balls on. Yeah, so they're kind of reasonably priced on there, even for Spirit, but, you know, yeah, that's funny. They actually have bigger buzz balls, too. Like, have you ever seen those at, like, a liquor store? They have, like, gigantic ones mm. that looks like an actual bottle, almost. They have big balls? Okay. <laughs> big balls, yes. Josh actually pointed that out to me once when we were at a liquor store. He's like, look at the size of that buzz ball. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> I still haven't purchased one ever. So yeah. that tells you anything. But um, yeah, they have some quite interesting flavors. They actually have a, um, they have one that's like a white Russian. It might actually even be called a white Russian. What the hell was it? No, they have an eggnog one, I feel like, for the holidays. <laughs> I don't know. They have all kinds of weird ones. Oh, no. I remember what it was now. It was horchata, like the Mexican oh, rice water. I think I yeah. got the buzz ball. Yeah. Of that yeah, it was good. 
I think it reminded me of a white Russian. That's why I'm saying that. But yeah, he got it for me randomly one time. And I was just like, oh, yeah, it was good, actually. I didn't expect it to be good. But um, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Buzz balls. <laughs> So. Oh man, um, I'm gonna make a note to Pat right now that you need to leave this whole buzzball conversation into the podcast. Um, it is it is important that our uh, listeners know uh, the uh, amazingness of buzzballs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they should know. They should know. Yeah, uh, they're good. If you want a quick buzz and you're not afraid of a little sugar, or drinking from a ball. <laughs> Yeah, that too. <laughs> okay. So, all right, the story. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh to follow that up, this story is actually kind of serious, but um yeah. uh so <laughs> I was originally gonna talk about the Entefield pot Entefield Entfield poltergeist. See, I don't even know. Um but <laughs> Uh, but I've heard of that poltergeist yeah but I'm pretty sure I already talked about that on this podcast but all the episodes blend together over time I'm pretty sure I mentioned it and went into detail in in it when on the episode and I could not tell you how many episodes this was ago on uh what was it called ghost watch ghost watch oh yeah this is when Jameson was still doing the podcast. Oh yeah, Jamo. We did an episode on Ghost Watch, which was this British live TV broadcast, um, with Craig Charles, who I love from Red Dwarf, which is one of my favorite shows. <laughs> um, but it was a live TV broadcast where they kind of pranked uh, their audience into believing that actual paranormal things were happening during their broadcast. Yes, I read in, about this a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it was based on the Entfield, Entfield, Entfield. Yeah, Entfield. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I talked about it on that episode. So mm. I decided to do something else. Oh, okay. And you know, if any of our angry listeners want to email us and be like, "You didn't talk about it in detail," <gasps> you know, go ahead, email us at hollywoodshaunted at gmail dot com, uh, and you know. Uh, write me, write me on Instagram at Tia is the coolest, and tell me how mad you are. Um, oh no! <laughs> uh, about it, and I'll we'll do it in a future episode. But I'm pretty sure I already talked about it. So I I don't know how I came across this story. Um, like three days ago, I decided that oh, I'm gonna do this story on Tuesday when we record the podcast. But like I said, I didn't realize today is Monday and that I had scheduled it for today until you messaged me like <laughs> four hours ago. And then it was, I didn't want to like reschedule because I have the one with Roxana tomorrow. And right. uh, I was like, I got this. I have four hours. I got this. And I got it done in like two and a half hours. So it's not that bad. Yeah. I could only yeah. find two sources for this, which you're going to have to because I closed my window now. Um, okay. My sources were um, 
one infographics on YouTube, which is where I first heard about it in infographics. And mm-hmm. then uh, trulyadventure.us slash project dash poltergeist an article that was written by Celia Blanche Kaflor. Um, mm. So basically I was not able to find any really other article on this. I mean, there is, there's just, I mean, that's it basically. So Celia hmm. Blanche Kaflor, Kaflor, and I'm sorry, Blank Blankafor, Celia Blankafor. Sorry if I'm butchering your name. I tend to do that, and I'm very sorry. But she writes this very detailed article about Project Poltergeist, and Project Poltergeist is the first um, case of a poltergeist that was actually documented by American parapsychologists, hmm. and. This and infographics was all I could find on it. However, I did find a piece pretty interesting that mentioned that Blumhouse possibly is going to do a movie about this. Oh, wow. Which I think is within the Blumhouse wheelhouse because most of their stories are about people of color and horror, horror movies with people of color, which is not something that has been very much very prominent in the media right right which is such a shame because the first like horror movie i could ever think of is like night of the living dead like Mm. uh oh god what is his name romero romero george romero yeah Yeah. night of the living dead yeah watching a documentary about it i'm gonna go off on another tangent here but I remember mm-hmm. watching a documentary about it that he cast the main actor who um, is a black man and uh, he cast him not thinking, oh, I'm putting a black person in a lead role that where they're not playing a servant, they're not playing, you know, something mm-hmm. stereotypical. It's a leading man role of this movie and he didn't cast him thinking that. He just thought, oh, he's the best actor for the role. And he didn't even think about it until the movie came out and there was like controversy. So, mm. and Blumhouse has come out with some really incredible things. Um, you know, so I think this story would be actually really great for them um, because they're usually pretty gritty about their stories and they usually focus around people of color and it's Mm. you know so that being said the Mm. people who are in this story and I'm it doesn't really come up but this does take place in the 1960s uh this does take place in New York and the people who I am talking about they are African-American and so keep that in mind as I tell the story, because there's a lot that has to do with um, housing insecurity and worrying about their image, you know, that 
that's just another layer of this story. And there's a lot more to it that I'm not really going to get into. And um, the True Adventure article gets a lot more into that aspect of it. But um, I'm just going to stick to kind of like as much of the bare bones of this story as possible because there's a lot. Um, so um, I'll just get into it. Okay, so <laughs> this story starts actually out in between 1948 and 1949. Um, and it starts with my main person, my main character, who is Ernie, um, his parents, which were Ernest Sr. Rivers and uh, Anne. Um, is it River or Rivers? Oh no, I'm a horrible podcaster. <laughs> I told you I just did this a few hours ago. Anyways, so, uh, Ernest Sr., he was a uh, fighter in the Golden Gloves, uh, an especially dangerous amateur boxing circuit with heavy mob ties. Uh, and uh, he also was a construction worker. Uh, his wife, Anne, mostly stayed at home to take care of their son, Ernie. Uh, she was frequently sick because the couple had no insurance. They couldn't, they usually couldn't afford doctor visits. And when she did get checked, the causes of her condition remained mysterious. So uh, less than two weeks before Christmas in 1956, Anne had fallen ill again. After watching television for a few hours, Ernest Sr. and Anne retired to their bedrooms around 10 o'clock at night. Ernie, who was eight years old at the time, was asleep in another room. Uh, Anne says to Ernie, or Ernest Sr., I need to go to the doctor. And Ernest says, uh, the only extra money I have is for Ernest's Christmas gifts. Uh, the argument escalated and... Uh, and the last thing Ernest said was, you're nothing but a doctor's bill to me. Oh, my God. Pretty harsh. Um, yeah. So that night, and she has a nightmare, and she dreams that her husband, Ernest Sr., is going to kill her with a gun, going to shoot her. Uh, mm. So she stirs awake in the middle of the night. And she actually uh, looks under the bed and she finds a suitcase where her husband keeps his 38 caliber revolver, uh, the same one from her dream. And so Anne pries open the case. She takes the gun out, turns the radio on quietly before drifting back to sleep for an hour, waking up again at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, she stared at her husband for a few moments and she says, Ernest, are you tired of me? When he didn't respond and cocks the gun before shooting him twice in the chest. <sighs> so Ernest Sr. died instantly. The noise woke up one of the other residents in the house and Anne ran downstairs saying that her husband had shot himself after they got into an argument. So detectives took Anne to the police station. After three hours, she confessed to the murder in her statement, the police uh, said that, or Anne said she worried that her husband had plans to kill her, recounting the dream she had right before she shot him. And his comment that she was just a doctor's bill to him. 
So on May 29th, 1957, five months after the murder, Anne was sentenced to a term of 18 to 22 years at the Clinton Reformery for Women uh, in Clinton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I should also say that because there's only two sources that I found of this, I don't know how much of this story is true, but interesting nonetheless. Um, Yeah. So... Shortly after, uh, their son, Ernie, because father is dead and the mother is in uh, a reform reformatory, you know, uh, he ends up going to live with his maternal grandparents. They live in Phoenix Fold uh, Housing Development on 125th Rose Street. look into this area later on there is a lot of system systematic racism this is one of the Mm. areas that ends up being destroyed basically and because really if you you look into a lot Mm. of black communities they were destroyed over the years from bombing to gunfire to this is one of those and i didn't really get into that with this story because that happens kind of after this fact but mm-hmm. that also it kind of paints a little bit of a picture for sure yeah. um, so uh uh after he goes and lives with his grandmother mabel so he's living with his grandpa his grandparents there was not a name for his grandfather that i could find but his grandmother is named mabel clark Uh, His grandfather passes away very soon after he goes to live with his grandparents. So this kid has got these tragic things already happening. Uh, And then in April of 1961, uh, his mother, Anne, escapes from the minimum, minimum security institution. And she was still at large when the events in Mabel's apartment in Newark begin a month later. So on May 6, 1961, on the evening of Ernie's 13th birthday, Ernie Rivers was playing in his bedroom at his grandparents' apartment. When Mabel Clark, uh, she was taking care of housework in her bedroom. As she did, a glass jar on top of a dresser on the opposite end of the room crashed to the floor. Mabel was shaken for a moment. The jar seemed to move by itself. And then she brushed it off. Ernie heard a noise from his room, but didn't think much of it. So two days later, on May 8th, uh, after this incident, Ernie and his grandmother are eating in the kitchen when six punch bowl cups in the living room uh, connected by an open doorway to the kitchen came off the hooks on the wall and crashed to the floor, one after the other. Whoa. (laughs) So Mabel would recall later, that's when it really started. She recalled later, everything started smashing, 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 smashing. Uh, Later that evening, several bottles fell to the floor and shattered. One of them, a bottle of antiseptic stored in a bathroom only to find its door closed, making the bizarre incident flatly impossible. The bottle of antiseptic fell on the floor in their living room from the bathroom where the door was closed. 
so not knowing what else to do, she rushed into the bathroom to take the remaining bottles, containers, and items from the medicine cabinet and place them on the floor. Um, which I guess I would do. Um, so the th- mm-hmm. uh, so later that evening, uh, Mabel invites over the neighbor, Yetta Mandel. So she's kind of a witness in this whole thing as well. Uh, she would testify or not testify, would state later, you know, her witnessing a lot of these things happening. So as we go through this, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, what is really going on, you know, uh, here? Mm-hmm. I'll just keep going. We'll, we'll get into that. So, <laughs> so uh she invites Yetta Mandel over and Ernie, Mabel, and Yetta are chatting with the television humming in the background when a cologne bottle from the bathroom suddenly darted into the living room, zigzagging in midair uh, before shattering against the floor. Uh, Yetta watched it, uh, watched as a glass decanter began to move itself off of the perch and caught it before it fell on the floor. Uh, Mabel, at this point, decides she's going to come clean and tell Yetta about all of these poltergeist things that are happening in the house for the last two days. Now, as she's talking, a lamp in the living room spontaneously shatters, and Mabel and Ernie flee the house, and at this point, they decide to stay somewhere else for the night. However... Ernie and Mabel are forced to come back to the apartment. They don't really have anywhere else to go. Uh, At this point, they are living on a fixed income, which leaves them little choice um, but to face whatever this thing is in their house. So the events did not stop, but seemed to grow with intensity. In the days after Ernie's birthday, Mabel recorded nearly two dozen incidents in the house Uh, Items being thrown around the apartment, shattering or falling off their perches onto the floor. Uh, One day as Ernie sat in the dining room, uh, I saw at the one day as Ernie sat at the (laughs) dining room table, a pepper shaker levitated from the top of the stove, landing beside him on the table. The activity seemed to be focused around Ernie. Twice during this time, Ernie and Mabel left to stay with her daughter and son-in-law, Ruth and William Hargwood, at their house in Belleville, the next town over, but they could only accommodate them for short stretches. Uh, So Mabel, she loved Ernie, and she would call him an unbelievable good boy. However, he was very quiet and he would never acknowledge feelings of sadness or fear uh, or anything at all. So he very much like kept to himself and did not express himself. Um, I did see it say it was mentioned that he may or may not have had autism. But I think in my personal opinion, it's really trauma that Mm -hmm. it, it. it's that trauma of what has happened to him so far and not really being able to process all of that, you know? Yeah. 
So he mostly replied to his grandmother's questions with a bland, I don't know, or yes. And he seemed to harbor secrets. Mabel would say, I don't know what goes on inside of him. I just can't explain it. And she lamented that she wanted him to be more open, uh, more open to love. So neighbors started reporting unusual noises. And it was only a matter of time before the press picked up on this. So on May 11th, Mabel's son-in-law, William, and another relative were visiting when a Newark news reporter, Douglas Eldridge, stopped by. He asked uh, for an interview, but didn't hide the fact that he believed the entire event to be a hoax. Mabel reluctantly agreed and invited him into the apartment. As she counted the past events, suddenly a cup that Eldridge confirmed had been sitting securely on the bookshelf smashed into the floor. On the verge of tears, Mabel admitted that this was, was not the first incident that day. As she accounted the past events, suddenly a cup that Eldridge confirmed he'd seen sitting uh, securely on the bookshelf smashed onto the floor. So Eldridge he then took the story to the press and uh, the local press named the activity Project Poltergeist. So I don't know if that's because this was in the projects or because of what happened later where they studied Ernie. But it sounds like they're just making a comment that this is in the projects, which is kind of rude in my opinion. Um, but okay. Anyways, <laughs> um, the housing development opened an investigation into the incident um, because they were causing such a disturbance um, in the house. So mm. uh, Irving Laskowitz, the tenants relations, relations division director of the Newark Housing Authority, or NHA took charge of the inquiry in the eyes of many African-American residents Newark authorities often looked for excuses to kick tenants out of public housing at which point they would be at the mercy of predatory landlords who charged as much as triple the market for uh, market value for rents so Mabel said I don't want to move unless I have to I don't think this is going to go on forever. And Irving replied, it can't go on forever. Pretty soon you'll run out of things to break. So mm. obviously he doesn't, he thinks it's BS, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but let's just say like people of color are rarely believed even today. Um, and it's just, yeah. Mm. She is also a woman, you know? So anyways. Um, <laughs> so the officials examined every inch of the apartment as well as the surrounding units and basement. And uh, Irving would say, there must be some kind of magnetism in the apartment. Uh, Irving said, he, sarcastically, uh, one of Irving, Irving's aides said, maybe it's the moon. We could check on that. Uh, which is rude. Um, <laughs> mm. 
Despite their snide commentary, Irving, Irving did admit that uh, Mabel had a clear record the previous 20 years. And so she had never gotten in trouble with the law for 20 years. And they also found no evidence of trickery or any physical cause for the seemingly invisible force. Uh, after this, things only got worse. Only got worse. Um, Irving later said that he wished he had he had actually found something that caused this, but he never did find anything. Uh, the NHA would acknowledge that a strange, unexplained phenomenon hung over the apartment. So then this guy shows up. Um, it said that the NHA contacted this guy called uh, named Edward Del Russo. He was a self-proclaimed exorcist referred to by one of the housing officials uh, as an amateur house de-haunter. Uh, and he was an independent contractor which sounds to me a lot like Ed and Lorraine Warren um, did some mm -hmm. episodes on them and have mixed feelings about them. Yeah. So this guy shows up and uh, Del Russo said he had the ability to work with unforeseen powers. He burned a beeswax candle in their living room uh, on their living room coffee table and declared the poltergeist banished. But the forces proved to be immune to his attempt and maybe became and or maybe even became agitated because of them. Mabel believed that it was the spirit of Ernest Sr. trying to take Ernest away from her. So the media drew attention, uh, drew the attention of Dr. Charles D. Ray, oh, I'm going to say his name wrong. <laughs> uh, Reger, Reger, W-R-E-G-E. -E. Um, and I'm probably spelling that wrong. And in the infographics <laughs> of this, they pronounce it Reger, Regra, Regra. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's okay. Anyways, and I'm going to have to say his name over and over again because I see it all over my page here um just say like r or something i don't know okay charles w there you uh, go <laughs> he was a native of newark an assistant professor uh in the department of management at Rut rutgers university uh he also had a lifelong interest in parapsychology he believed in the popular theory of Reoccurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. If you don't know what psychokinesis is, read Carrie by Stephen King. That is psychokinesis. You can basically move things with your mind. So he was one of the first say, people. What's that? Yeah, no, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to lose you in thought, but I just have to say that's the second Carrie reference in this Carrie podcast. Room. That's all I have to um, say. Can I just say that Carrie the Musical is amazing? Uh, oh, I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, it's great. Um, and also the Audible of Carrie is done by Sissy Spacek, and it's amazing. Um, oh, I bet. <laughs> Damn. 
anyways (laughs) so he believes in this theory i want to say he's like one of the first people to um kind of propose this theory um but uh anyways so uh This theory populated that some unseen force interacted with a human agent, typically a troubled adolescent, which would be Carrie, in order to (laughs) manifest direct physical effects on the environment. So one day, uh, so on the day that Dr. W went to visit Ernie, the poltergeist made it clear it was not happy with the intrusion. Before the arrival, so granted, Dr. W does not witness this happening. This is only the testimony of Mabel and Yetta. Um, Before the arrival of Dr. W, Mabel and Yetta both witnessed an iron fly into the room, a container of salt hit Ernie in the back, and a bookcase falling over on its own. Over two days, Dr. W studied the apartment, looking for a natural explanation, but found nothing. Near midnight on the second day, there was a loud knocking at the front door. And uh, a group of drunk young men on the other side demanded to see the boy with flying objects. So that's very traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Um, because he is a black child who is already traumatized. And now here's this crazy lynch mob outside wanting to see the boy with flying objects and, Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not any of this stuff is true, this is just so sad that all of this is happening. So Dr. W and Ernie waited in silence, hoping the group of drunk young men would grow tired and leave. Then a rock sailed through the open window of the apartment. Dr. W pulled Ernie into the kitchen to protect him. Just as Dr. W was about to pick up the phone and call the police, a glass from the top of the counter fell onto the floor. Dr. W looked at Ernie, who was visibly upset from the commotion and loud noises outside. Uh, He was standing near the counter. Dr. W put his arm around Ernie to comfort him. While Dr. W was on the phone with the police, a crash came from the living room. A lamp fell off the table and toppled onto the floor about 15 feet away from, from them. I checked the remains of the lamp and the cord Uh, to see any strings or wires attached, he recalled. Uh, But he found nothing. With Ernie having been by uh, W's side uh, throughout the night, the investigator ruled any possibility that Ernie was playing a prank. Uh, Ernie's uncle eventually came over um, basically to protect them, but also to help clean up from these drunken people being outside. And things started flying off the shelf at this time. And this led to all three of them fleeing from the apartment. So, sorry, I'm burping. It's uh, (laughs) this hoppiness. Good beer. (laughs) Of it all. Um, A few days later, a reporter from the Newark Star-Ledger and the assistant director of the NHA came by 
the apartment to investigate again. While there, the two men heard a noise in the hallway and watched as a pill bottle on the shelf uh, flew off and landed in Mabel's room. Ernie was in his room the whole time. W believed that uh, Ernie was the source of the energy and he decided on an experiment. He asked Ernie to choose a target for the forces as he recorded in the case files. Ernie chose a mustard jar that he put down on the kitchen table. 20 minutes later, while Ernie was in the living room, Dr. W and uh, the assistant director of the NHA were in the kitchen and the mustard jar left the table and moved over their heads, uh, the heads of the two men crashing against the wall. W noticed yet another oddity that defied physics. The jar, he reported, seemed to shatter before reaching the wall. So, okay. So, in early September of 1961, uh, Dr. Roll, uh, he he shows up here. Um, Sorry, I don't have his full name. Uh, Dr. Roll, he was German born. He had fought the Dutch resistance in World War II before pursuing paranormal studies at Oxford. And he was the director of uh, psychical research of the Psychical Research Foundation at Duke University. And he was attending the Parapsychology Association convention in Manhattan. So he was just at this convention and happened to be in the area when all of this was going down so he ventured into newark to visit the apartment for himself of course he would um and uh when he arrived he learned that ernie had been staying uh for a few weeks at his aunt's place and there no disturbance had been reported so when ernie was away from the apartment there was no poltergeist activity um but once ernie returned to stay at mabel's house uh, Dr. Roll visited them multiple times. At one point, Roll was uh, in the hall outside the apartment when he heard a commotion. Uh, according to Ernie, an ashtray hit the power button on the remote control, shutting the TV off while the boy was in the middle of watching something. As per his notes, Roll rushed into the apartment and witnessed the ashtray still moving on the floor. Mm-hmm. So there's a few of these incidents where somebody comes in and witnesses it happening like halfway through you know which to me doesn't necessary necessarily lend credibility to what's going on but at the same time there's been so many times in my life where I'm like god I wish someone would have seen that you know uh Mm -hmm. no one's gonna believe me so it's hard to say um anyways Ernie was seated Uh, quietly and calmly on the couch opposite end of the room Uh, another time when Roll was inside the apartment money went missing from Mabel's purse Uh, the professor and Mabel uh, both suspected Ernie must have swiped it however this was uncharacteristic of Ernie he wasn't really the stealing or dishonest type Uh, When the boy took the trash into the basement, he found money strewn around the halls, including uh, one ripped bill in half, 
all totaled up to $2 more than what had gone missing. Uh, as if the forces were toying with him, which also is a conclusion. Uh, so basically, they came to the conclusion that this entity is trying to direct its ire towards Ernie. Um, so at this point, Mabel ha had enough of, of the investigation. She actually kicked Dr. Roll and Ernie both out of the apartment. Uh, as Dr. Roll started to debate with her, a bottle smacked into the back of his head. Ernie couldn't have been responsible as Dr. Roll was facing him at the time. So Ernie went to stay with his aunt and uncle, but eventually they couldn't afford to take care of him. And he was forced to, he was forced to return back to his grandmother's apartment. Uh, the coming months, the two reported being terrorized by the poltergeist. Uh, the TV set, the washing machine, the refrigerator, even kitchen cupboards crashed to the floor. Um, so Mabel at this point is at her wit's end and she actually took Ernie to the police and begged them to put him somewhere safe. But there was nothing he could do. He hadn't caused any crime. So there's nothing that he could do at this time. So she then turned to various friends to take him in, uh, but they actually did take him in and the activity followed. Things would be crashing around their houses. Um, Ernie was eventually removed from Mabel's home and placed into a group home. So Dr. Roll, he knew that the poltergeist activity seemed to abruptly stop. Um, after coming to a crescendo that's kind of a common theme like with mm. these stories is that like something crazy happens and then all of a sudden it stops and this thing goes away yeah forever um so he wanted to study it while he could and because ernie was now in a group home he knew that he could what is it take advantage of the situation yeah so he, uh, and this might be the only time too that he could study a poltergeist, but this is a child here that we're talking about. Um, so Dr. Roll and Dr. W, along with experts from the NYU, uh, examined him. They invited him to the parapsychology laboratory at Duke University for observation. Because the activity, activity seemed to be intensified in the presence of his grandmother, they invited Mabel as well. Um, Dr. Roll got uh, the two a room at the Jack Tar Hotel. Mm. And as soon as, so he drops them off at this hotel. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he gets home, he has messages on his phone or he gets a message from them on the phone that they need to return to the hotel immediately. Um, mm -hmm. As soon as he gets back to the hotel, he sees, comes into the room and he sees uh, Ernie on the floor holding the television from the room. So according to Ernie and Mabel, an ashtray fell off the table well, uh, and smashed while Ernie was in the bathroom. Ernie in the bathroom claimed he saw a toothpaste get hurled into the bathtub. 
And so Mabel, thinking more things are going to get smashed around, she places a lamp on the floor and it knocks over on its own. And so at this time, Ernie comes out of the bathroom and uh, he uh, grabs the television in his arms uh, in order to not make sure that it doesn't crash or break. And that's when Dr. Roll comes into the room. Again, it's another time where they kind of come into it happening halfway through. Yeah. Uh, so the laboratory investigations, they start on December 18th. Uh, Ernie's brainwaves were recorded, first concluding that all activity, uh, activity was in the normal range. However, odd spikes of activity uh, began to appear. Uh, Dr. John Altrici, professor of medical psychology, interviewed Ernie and remarked that Ernie was the only person he had ever encountered that had no discrepancy between self and ideal self. I'm not really sure what that means, but um, I assume it means, uh, so it says Ernie didn't have an idealized version of himself that he wanted to present to the world. And he concluded he wasn't trying that this meant that he wasn't trying to hoax the phenomenon. So I assume that means that most people have like a kind of self they want to present to the world versus who they really are. And he mm -hmm. was the only person that didn't really care about that. Yeah. And so I imagine that might have to do with his trauma and his not really being able to be himself as, and being able to be a child or being able to be himself, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, Ernie had admitted a feel, uh, feelings of extreme waves of anger and hatred towards uh, children who had made fun of him. Psychologists theorized that perhaps Ernie had bottled up his emotions out of fear that if he let them out, he might do something, uh, hurt someone or possibly even kill someone. Which, you know, he, knowing what had gone on with his parents, like, very possibly um you know that's a lot uh the teams examining ernie came to the conclusion that the poltergeist experiences were connected to the family turmoil as well as psychological distress and trauma at one point though ernie was caught hiding rolls of tape under his shirt okay so this part is interesting so ernie was caught putting rolls of tape under his shirt and when his aunt or when his grandmother Mabel came in, he threw them at the back of her head. And so they asked him later, hey, you know, why did you do that? And he had no recollection of it. So they put him under a mm -hmm. polygraph and he passed the polygraph. So he actually had no recollection of throwing these things. So to me, that kind of brings into the question the whole thing, you know, like, was this just this kid throwing things around and he just had no recollection of it? The specialists believe that it was whatever entity was possessing him, you know, which could possibly be it as well, because there were several witnesses of seeing these things fly around on their own. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually after these studies, uh, the frenzy around Project Poltergeist 
quieted down, uh, reporters and professors began to leave Ernie and his family alone. Uh, after a stint in a foster home and a farm for foster children, Ernie's Aunt Ruth and Uncle William took him back to their Belleville home. Uh, while similar incidences of glasses and items flying and breaking occurred in Belleville, uh, far away from the limelight, they proved less violent than in Newark. In October of 1965, Anne, his mother, uh, uh, was paroled. She was finally caught, even though she was on the run this whole time. Uh, after uh, was paroled, um, uh, all right, I'll finish up in 10 minutes. Paroled <laughs> She was paroled after serving eight years in the Clinton Reformatory for Women shortly after she was released and was murdered by a pair of alleged mobsters seeking vengeance for the murder of their prized boxer just a few years before. So this kid cannot catch a break whatsoever. Yeah, really? Wow. So his aunt and uncle had considered sending Ernie uh back to the group home, but they ultimately embraced the stability for Ernie. Um, his uncle William promised Ernie that whatever was going on with him or following him around, they would face it without the help of psychologists or parapsychologists. The incidents gradually stopped by the time Ernie was 18 and he joined the Marine Corps. For years after parting ways with Ernie, Dr. Roll continued to speak about the Newark events at parapsychologist conventions and wrote about it in technical journals. In 1962, Parapsychological mm -hmm. Association Convention, uh, at the 1962 Parapsychological, blah, 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 blah. At the <laughs> I got this. Words. Got this. Words. Yeah, you did. At the 1962 Parapsychological Association Convention, the first to take place after Ernie's experiences, it was hosted at the Jack Tar Hotel where Ernie and Mabel had stayed and featured talks on what had happened in Newark, in the Newark Housing Project. The case contributed uh, to Roll's rising stock in the paranormal community. Ernie remained in New Jersey through adulthood. He married and had children of his own. The violent incidents receded into family lore. But later, Ernie's wife claimed to experience some unusual phenomenon in the house. On occasion, glass would drop in the kitchen from time to time. There was one moment in particular that she never forgot. Uh, she woke in the middle of the night to glimpse what she believed to be a man sitting on their windowsill. Startled, she jostled Ernie to let him know what happened. And Ernie responded as though he knew just what had had. Uh, Ernie responded as though he knew what it was she had seen. And he said, just go back to sleep and don't worry about it. So <laughs> that is all that I could find. I tried to look up Ernie uh rivers after this and all i could find was one obituary however he very well might still be alive mm -hmm. uh, out there 
I did find mm-hmm. one obituary on a Ernie Rivers, but that might not even be his real name, nor may this story even be true. But I only found <laughs> two incidences, uh, two things on online, like I said, of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. However, it, it was fascinating and I would be yeah. really interested when the Blumhouse movie comes out. Absolutely. But, that would be, yeah, that's like you said, that's a pretty, um, I don't know, would you call it a high mark or level of achievement or something? But yeah, like if they're going to make it into something, yeah, that's big. I think so. Yeah. And I would trust, <laughs> uh, I would trust Blumhouse or what is it? Monkey Paw Productions, either one. Yeah. Whatever Jordan Peele's is. But I don't think it's going to be directed by Jordan Peele, but. Uh, oh, I my God. Yeah. Jordan Peele would be yeah. amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still, I'm. <laughs> I still haven't even seen any of his horror movies, believe it or not, because I think it was in that period where I was like, well, I don't know. Can I handle this type of thing? Yeah. I can definitely handle it now so um, i'm gonna go and watch all of the movies maybe not tonight but <laughs> i mean i just came off of watching um the jeffrey dahmer series on netflix oh. well if you can handle did it, you watch it i have yes i can i'm not in a good headspace for that right now i mean i'm telling you tia it was not ideal but like me coming from the midwest you know, I live two hours away. I grew up two hours away from Milwaukee. Mm. I know I grew up hearing about the case, everything, all of this. You you know, and like I was in high school when, um, you know, these things were being discovered. It was just horrific, you know. So, but I mean, Evan Peters, oh, my God. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Cannot stress that enough. Anyone who's a fan of AHS knows that but like he really showed his stuff with this role and I even watched a little snippet of him talking about um how hard it was for him to fully commit to this character because he had to get into such a dark headspace mm-hmm. and he's like the only people that saved me from it were the crew so and I can imagine you know like once you see it if you ever do I mean you should see it, I think, just because it's it's just really good. But I mean, it's it it's hard. It's very hard, especially episode six. Um, I feel like everybody's saying that, but if you don't watch any other episodes, episode six is the most like poignant. So anyway. I watched it. <laughs> I watched it soon. I promised Roxana I would watch what we do in shadows. Mm. Um, what we do in the shadows and I have yet to watch yeah. because I oh yeah I don't have time however I am reading a book right now called yeah. my my best friend's exorcism oh uh, and it's okay. <laughs> it's okay it's all right yeah it's not yeah. like it's not a true story it's a YA book about oh yeah being going through an exorcism in the 80s um it's it's interesting um but I will try to watch the Jeffrey Dahmer series Uh, yeah I I saw Get Out 
on accident. Um, I went to a free screening of it and I didn't realize that it was uh, Get Out until like they announced what movie it was. We didn't know what movie we were seeing until we got there. And I felt mm-hmm. really bad because Pat really wanted to see the movie at the time. And I was like, oh no, I'm seeing it without him, but I can't leave yeah. the theater because I'm already here. <laughs> but it was really good. Um, yeah. I would say watch, maybe watch Nope first before watching okay. Get Out because Get Out's a lot more dark and psychological, but they're both funny. Like it's yeah. a at the end of the day you know right like I yeah that's the thing like I so I know that nope is the latest one mm-hmm. and then before that was us right the one oh, with the doppelgangers yeah us yeah is- see I can't I can't handle the us right now I don't need doppelganger images in my life right now yeah. but um the other stuff uh with get out and nope probably I don't know I'm not saying I could handle it I'm not even sure. I've only heard like, you know, ideas about what happens in the movie, yeah. but um, but us, I definitely know from the imagery. Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I can't be that creeped yeah. out. That like I said, I did watch. Yeah, yeah, I watched the the Dahmer series. That was enough. I probably shouldn't have watched that by myself. But hey, you know, it was compelling. And if that tells you anything. There you go. Like, I don't know. It just, I thought it would be, I don't know what I thought it would be, but I thought that the way they handled it with regard to everything was more respectful than not, you know? So that's all I'll say to the victims is what I mean, of course. But, you know, because that's that's a lot of the commentary. It's like, well... Should we be talking about Dahmer once again? Do we really need to do a series? And no, we probably didn't need to do a series, but I feel like the way they handle it does honor the victims. Yeah. So um, that's just my opinion. But all right. That was an awesome episode. Yeah. So yeah. Um <laughs> be sure to listen, uh, like, subscribe share tell your friends uh you know creepy people out there who like this weird stuff so let them know (laughs) it is october so please uh talk about this podcast that's the only way other people will like us and we (laughs) live for validation and acceptance in this world so um if you have any suggestions for stories uh hollywood's haunted at gmail.com you can send us that uh i have not been making tiktoks i am so sorry i will make some tiktoks they're all right um you can follow us on tiktok <laughs> or uh my instagram my weird little podcast has an instagram occasionally i post um I'm sure if you are a stalker and an internet sleuth, you could find my personal Facebook or Instagram and see the other weird stuff that I post. Follow <laughs> our uh, follow our um, sister podcast, my weird little podcast. We're going to be posting at least twice this month a yes. few things um, as well. And uh, our Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash HH, the podcast. Mm-hmm. From Las Vegas and from Acton, California, 
Yeah. Uh, yes. Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. Please creep it real. Stay spooky. Go do fun October stuff. Stay safe. Yes. Not touch the scare actors. <laughs> um, yeah, very important, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, have a good night, everyone. Ooh. <laughs>